Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Religious Atheists by Pastor Sean Wood. Amen. If you'd like to uh, meet me in Romans chapter 2, we're going to continue our series working our way through the book of Romans. It's good to be in God's house. Amen. We're off to a flying start this year, which is good. This morning, I want to, uh, as we're working our way through Romans, I just want to press the pause button for a moment and, and just reflect on where we've come from. My heart with the epistle of Romans is, um, in today's world, we, I actually feel that the gospel of Christ, the authentic gospel of Jesus, is under threat. I think the, the authentic message of the gospel is under threat. The gospel today has become... If you're, if you're a good enough person and you do good enough, then you'll build up enough brownie points and you can get what you want from God. That's not the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel message of Christ is the call of God back into his presence. That's, that's what the message of the gospel is. And this morning, this morning I want to... I want to hit probably one of the biggest nails on the head. One of the greatest challenges to the gospel is what I would like to call religion. And I'm going to unpack what I mean by that. But I want everybody in this room to know that I'm not religious. And I've had people ask me, are you a religious minister? No, I am not a minister of religion. And I want to unpack what I mean by that as we go through today, because the greatest threat to the gospel today is that it's all up to you. That's, that's the greatest threat to the gospel. That's, that's paraphrasing what I mean. And today I want to speak about religious atheists. And if I could sum up what a religious atheist is in one word, it's the word Pharisee. And there were Pharisees 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus and we have Pharisees today. You see, Pharisees thought they had the measure on God. They thought, we've got the systems, we've got the rules, we've got the clothes, we've got the temple, we've got access to God. And when Jesus came with a different message, the hackles went up and the teeth came out. Nothing's changed, by the way. Let me make a statement that I'm going to unpack as we work our way through. When When you stand before God, I'll make you one guarantee. When you stand before God, you will not be thankful that you found Christ. When you stand before God, you will be thankful that Jesus found you. That's the message of the gospel. You see, religion and the religions of the world, they tell us that Man has to strive after God. And that fleshes its way out in, in many different ways as you work your way around the planet. That looks different, doesn't matter whether you're Islam, whatever it is. You've got to strive after God. What I love about the message of the gospel is this. It paints the picture of God striving after man. Completely reverses it. And as we work our way through Romans, we don't, we don't have the the luxury of picking and choosing the scriptures that we want to talk about. And today, there's no, no difference in that. Who, who here likes cleaning their car? My boys are learning what it is to clean cars. Yes, Damo, you should be liking to clean cars. 
Damo might be able to help me out here this morning because uh, back when I had taxis, uh, I had three taxis and I was OCD. You ask my wife, I was OCD about keeping my cars clean. I had, I had a number of drivers and don't you bring my car back dirty. <laughs> don't you bring my car back dirty. I had, I had three taxis. One of them was the oldest one on the fleet, but all three of them were executive status cars because of how clean I kept them. But I lost sleep over how clean my cars were. I had, uh, but what I found was interesting is what people call clean. That's, it's interesting. Isn't it an interesting demo? Well, yeah, I, I worked as a cleaner in the hospital and the first three days, the first day I was there in induction, they went through what they call infectious control and they, they began to show us just how dirty the hospital... I said, I don't know if I can ever come back here. <laughs> Look, you're going to have to put me in a suit and... I don't know, I thought I was clean, but you've just told me how dirty I was. And so I had, I had night drivers that would turn up and, and one guy was pretty good. You know, he'd spend his $10, $12 at the car wash. He'd, he'd vac it all out and he'd give it a good clean and, and he'd put the air freshener in and, and he'd you know, open the doors and it was just clean. But then I had another night driver who used to run into the car wash and throw some soap and a, and a hose over the outside and then he'd pull up and he'd say, the car's clean, I washed it for you. And I'm oh, great, awesome. And then I'd open the door and there'd be cigarette ash everywhere because he used to smoke with the windows up and there'd be pizza all across the back seat. And I'd go, hang on a second, we've got a different interpretation of what clean looks like. And the Pharisees had an enormously different interpretation of what clean looks like. You see, religion says you fix up the outside and she's all good. But Jesus came with a different message and he said, you know what, clean means inside and out. And here's the message of the gospel. (laughs) You can't clean the inside. You haven't got a vacuum cleaner good enough. Jesus and the message of the gospel is only I can clean the inside. But that should be good news here this morning. That should be good news here this morning. Let's, let's work our way through Romans chapter 2. Verse 1 says, Therefore, you have no excuse. I love that line. For two reasons. The first one is the therefore. We have to stop long enough to ask why it's therefore. And what it means is there's not a separation between chapter 1 and chapter 2. There's a connection. And I'll I'll unpack why we need a connection between the two chapters later on. But the therefore says you are without excuse. I love what Paul is doing in the first chapters of Romans. Because the gospel actually leaves every man, every woman and every child without excuse. You do not have an excuse. Chapter 1 was the the exposition of how uh, God's great glory is revealed in creation. So every man is without excuse. You can live as though God does not exist, but you don't have any excuses. Because the same information that's available to all is available to you. Now we're going to move on to another one today. And many people have said, Chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 1, Paul's talking to the dirty, dirty Gentiles. And chapter 2, Paul wants to have a word to the Jews. And that's not the case at all. In fact, the message of the gospel is this. We we don't recognise Jew and Gentile. That's the message of the gospel. And Paul says, there's no Jew or Gentile here. I'm talking to all of you now when I'm talking about what we're about to speak about in chapter 2. 
There's no distinction. The message of the gospel is a message that breaks down walls. We don't have Jews, we don't have Greeks, we don't have Gentiles, we don't have Italians. We have everybody. Brother, you can, you can sit as far back as you like, but I'll still find you. <laughs> He's off the front row this morning. Therefore, you have no excuse. Let's unpack what Paul is going to begin to talk about here. He says, O man, for every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you are condemning yourself. What are you talking about here, Paul? When it comes to judgment, let's let's unpack judgment for a moment. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit begins to put put his finger on on all of us here this morning, but judgment is a separation. And I want to open this statement by, I'm going to tell you now, right now, I'm going to, no qualms about it. If you want to judge somebody else, I'm going to tell you what the precursor for that is. Here's what it is. If you want to judge someone else, here's the qualifying factor. You have to be God. The only person in the universe that has the qualification to cause this kind of separation, that's what judgment is. Judgment separates. Uh, Jew, Gentile, there's a judgment there. There's a, I'm putting myself here and I'm putting somebody else there. The judgment of God is the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. There's a separation there that only Jesus can remove the judgment. But judgment always comes first with a separation, then with a decision. And now, now what Paul is saying to the religious folk, and particularly the Pharisees, is this. Be careful in judging and separating yourself by anybody else. And you see, the Pharisees had a habit of doing something that I don't think has disappeared in 2,000 years. They had a habit of, you know what, to make ourselves look good, we'll poke holes in everybody else. If... To keep our boat afloat, we'll drill holes in everybody else's. So that we catch fish, we'll cut the barbs off everybody else's hooks. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of, we need to to make ourselves look better. And Paul says, you've caused a separation here. You're looking down on other people and be careful what you do because you are guilty of the same thing. Let me give you an analogy of what judgment sounds like. Fear of retribution converts nobody. And preaching the gospel doesn't sound like the world is full of dirty, rotten sinners and they're all going to hell. Because let me tell you what the world hears when we say that. The world hears, you think you're better than me. That's what the world hears. They hear a, a judgment. They hear a separation. And, and, if, and if anybody stands up and says, I'm going to preach the gospel and the whole world's a dirty, rotten bunch of sinners and everybody's going to hell, they're not preaching the gospel. It is grace and it is love that melts people's hearts. The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is, as J.I. Packer says, he says, I'll sum it up in one sentence for you. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel message. And what Paul is doing right now in these first chapters is he is putting everybody under one banner to begin with. He's exposing the problem. He says, you're all sinners. I want you to turn to the person next to you and just have a look at them for a moment. Noel, have a look at your beautiful wife for a moment. Now, we know she doesn't sin, but Noel... No. 
But there's no distinctions here because the gospel tears down the walls and nobody's better than anybody else. We are all sinners. We all need Christ. And preaching the gospel, judgment talk sounds like, I'm better than you. That's what they're hearing. That's what the world hears when we preach You're a dirty, rotten sinner, and you're going to hell. Nobody wants to hear that. Everybody wants to hear how Jesus has come seeking our hearts. Let's keep reading on. You, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Chapter 1 teaches us anything. It teaches us this, that all of us are under the wrath of God unless we are in the ark that he has provided Verse 3, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? And that's the, that's the aim here. That's, that's the mentality and that is the motivation. You know what? I'll make everybody else look bad and God will forget about me. He hasn't forgotten about you. In fact, you've just put yourself at the top of the list. Or... As Paul goes on and says, in verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? We're going to unpack that word repentance in a moment, but there's a word that's disappeared out of church. Or do you presume, and that word presume means to despise. Let me unpack the message of the first two chapters. Let me give you an analogy you might understand a little bit better. Who here can remember the, uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son? It's actually wrongly named. I agree with Tim Keller. It should be the parable of the prodigal God. You see, the hero of the parable is the father. And the word prodigal means to be lavish or reckless. And the lavish and reckless one is the father. But let's have a look for a moment as we, as we have a look at the two sons. Let's have a look at the parable. First son pipes up and says, give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. And that's what chapter one is telling us. Chapter one says, you know what? If, if you're in the first century and you said to your father, give me my inheritance, you were saying, I wish you dead. That's what you're saying. I want what's coming to me when you're dead. That's what the first son is saying. The first son pipes up and says, give me my inheritance. I'm going to live my life how I want to, where I want to, without a second thought of you. That just described an enormous amount of people on the globe right now. I want to live without the knowledge of God. I don't want to face the implications of God. I just want my life my way. I'll live it my way. That's the first son. Before we throw any stones his way, the parable is the parable of a father and his two lost sons. We think there's one son that's lost, but there's actually two sons that are lost. And that word presume, which is to despise the kindness of God, falls heavily on the elder son than it does the young one. Let's unpack it briefly as we work our way through. The younger son's got enough common sense to come to himself when he's feeding the pigs and says, you know what? Life can be better than this. My servants don't struggle for food like I am right now. I'm going I'm to go back home. If you're sitting here this morning and you think you're a million miles away from God, I want to tell you right now, every single person is only ever one step away from God. And that is the step that turns around and says, I'm coming home. You will find he is right behind you. You will find that 
You didn't go anywhere. But what happens to the older son? The older son, they throw a party for the younger son. And the older son sits out on the deck. I'm paraphrasing here now. Don't look for a translation that says deck because it doesn't exist. The older son's out on the deck. And the father comes out and he says, Won't you come in and celebrate? And the older son won't. We're going to pack that in a minute, basically what that means. But the older son says he won't. And he turns to his father and he says, You know what? He says, I never went anywhere. I'm paraphrasing. And I've worked here on the farm and I've been by your side and, and I'm not as bad as my brother over there, but you never killed a goat for me. And father says, you've got it wrong. What, do you, do you think by serving me you've got my approval? I'm paraphrasing again. Do you think that by serving on the farm and, and doing all this that you've got my approval? <laughs> you silly boy, you had it all the time. The father says, all that is mine is yours. You didn't have to work for it. It's freely yours. You've missed it. It's a despising of the grace and the kindness of the father. It's a despising and a presuming on the kindness and the forbearance of God. God has given every one of us, God sits outside of time. C.S. Lewis explains that beautifully, but God sits outside of time. But in his grace, he gave us this, this small slither of time. And here's why this is important. Here's why today's message really applies to the first Sunday in January 2020. I'm going to bring it all home later on. But the fact of the matter is we've all been given a slither of time. I'll make you one guarantee. No one in this room knows how long that slither is. We all bank on about 80 or 90 years of life. But the fact of the matter is none of us could be here tomorrow. You really don't know that. And what we lose sight of is this, that small slither of eternity, 50, 60, 70 years, what happens in that slither puts all the weight into eternity. That's why it's important. That's why it's important for Paul. Paul was one of these guys. Paul said, when it comes to the law, I'm blameless. I don't know another man that could put their hand up and say that. He says, I grew up at the feet of Gamaliel, the greatest Pharisee and rabbi of the time. He says, I grew up at his feet. The importance is, you don't know how long you have before you stand before God. Nobody does. So what we do today matters. Where you stand before God today matters. And God has given us this amnesty period where we think we're off free. It's kind of like my boys. When, I, when my boys play up and I say, I'll speak to you later, they think they're off. We're done. Cool. <laughs> no, I'm coming back to talk to you later on. If mum says I'll talk to you later, they run. Mum's the Pharisee. <laughs> Handing down the law. And I'm bringing the gospel to the family. <laughs> but, but we become complacent because we do something wrong and we don't see judgment, so we think God's going to let us off. Paul wants us to know, guys, you know what? God's kindness is not supposed to be despised here. 
You're not supposed to throw it back in his face. It's supposed to lead you to repentance. Now, there's a huge word. These words become more prevalent as we work our way through this exposition of the gospel. But William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, I was born again in the Salvation Army, and I have the greatest respect for what they do. I I praise God for the salvos, I say. But um, William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, founded under different circumstances than it exists today. But he said that the greatest threat, one of the greatest threats in, in the 20th century would be that we would have regeneration without repentance, that, that, there would be, that there would be the offer of salvation without the need of repentance. Why is repentance so important and why do we need it? How many people here would like times of refreshing from the presence of God? I know I would. I know I need times of refreshing from the presence of God. And Acts chapter 3 tells me, repent therefore, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You trace all the greatest moves of God through the last 2,000 years, you'll find one common factor, and that is a deep time of repentance. When the presence of God comes down closer and closer, something happens to the heart of man. It shines the light on the sinfulness that exists inside of there. Repentance is a changing. It is, a, it is to change one's mind. It is to change one's purpose. Repentance, the Christian life is a life of repentance. The Holy Spirit places his finger on this. The Holy Spirit places his finger on my wife and says, stop being such a Pharisee. Give the boys some slack. I knew I'd get an amen. (laughs) Mitchell's the wise one. He says nothing, see? (laughs) But the Christian life is a life of repentance. It's a life of changing our mind and changing our purpose so that it aligns with the purpose of Christ. You see, discipleship is not defined by perfection. Discipleship is defined by direction. The message to the world is, we are, is not that we are better than you, it's we've found somebody better than all of us. That's the message. And we've lost it. Repentance is simply a turning. It's a, it's a, it's a change in direction. But Paul goes on and he exposes he says, uh, presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, to change your mind and to change your purpose. Verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. You are storing up wrath for yourself. <clears throat> Jeremiah paints a beautiful picture of Israel and he speaks about them as being on the potter's wheel. I, 
I remember watching a documentary about a potter and the whole process of from, from the wheel to the kiln and all that sort of stuff. But it, it, it's beautifully profound spiritual truth that can be found in that. But imagine for a moment you've got, we're all thinking Ghost, aren't we? That movie with um, Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. No, that's not the kind of potter's wheel we've got in mind here at the moment. The, the one is where God's hands are, trying, are shaping the clay. And we all come to God like this blob of just, just a mess that God begins to put his hands on and work. And to be hard and impenitent is like being clay that's been baked off in the sun. Imagine trying to shape that. Paul says, God can't do anything with you because you're hard, you're resistant to the truth. These guys here, these Pharisees here, they miss Jesus because they they were nearsighted and they were blind and they couldn't see the truth. Nothing's changed. In 2,000 years, we we form hills of theology, we form hills of doctrine, we, we build mounds of religion that we stand on. And we'll die on these hills before we listen to the truth. To be hard and impenitent is to be stubborn and to be unrepentant. Now I want to bring it to why it matters today. As we read verse 6, it says, He will render to each one according to his works. I love what Paul's doing here, by the way. And everybody that just read that line went, hang on a second, hold the bus. God, on the day of judgment, will render to every single one of us according to our works. I thought the gospel was free. I thought salvation was free. I thought I escaped judgment. What is going on here? Paul, I'm confused. Am I, am I supposed to be earning my salvation? Is it all down to what I do or is it all by the grace of Christ? And I would say yes and yes. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Tim Keller puts it this way. When it becomes works... And, and faith. Let me, let me expose it this way. Tim Keller says, apples on a tree, I'll get the quote up for you, apples are evidence of life inside an apple tree, not the provider of that life. What's going on with works here? The problem with works, works becomes religion. Religion says this, Pharisees say this, I must work for my salvation and God's approval is the fruit of my efforts. Christianity says regeneration is free and works are the fruit or the evidence of the life that God has placed inside of me. The Catholics, largely a Pharisee. It's about the flesh. It's about ordinance. It's about ceremony. And we lose sight of the fact that what Jesus is seeking upon every tree that stands before him is fruit. You remember, remember towards the end of the parables, Mark 11, Jesus is in his passion week and he's, he's on his way and he sees a fig tree in the distance. And this fig tree at that time of year, at the Passover, it would have had leaves on it. It would have been promising fruit. And what happens to that fig tree is Jesus comes to the fig tree and there's nothing on it and he curses the fig tree. There's a message in that for all of us because the next thing that Jesus wants to speak to his disciples about is faith. 
Your salvation is by faith in Christ. The works or what happens on the outside is the fruit of what God has done on the inside. You don't earn your salvation by what you do. You do what you do because God has done a miracle inside of here. I want to share you a secret about holiness. We're going to have a look at what the test is in a moment. But I want to share a little secret about holiness. Holiness has been mistaken quite often. We measure holiness either in what we no longer do. I'm holy now because I don't do this, 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 this anymore. And that's a fruit, I guess. Or holiness might be measured in not only do I not do that anymore... Uh, now I do this, this and this. So therefore I'm holy because look how many chapters of the Bible I read and and look how long I pray and and I haven't missed... Do you know you could come to church every Sunday of your life and still not be saved? That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And unless we recover the true message of the gospel... We are in danger of people passing through our pews and sitting right next to us and not having a relationship with Jesus. And you might be sitting here this morning going, well, what's the difference? How do I know? How can I know whether I'm in the right place? How many people are scared by the words in Matthew 7? Uh, There will be those that say to me on the day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. How many people are scared when they read that? How many people does it jolt you? Jesus goes on and says, these people will say, I prophesied in your name. I healed the sick in your name. What? And you're going to say, away from me, Jesus, how do I know? How do I know whether I'm a Pharisee or whether I'm in connection with you? Paul gives us the test. Let's keep reading on. Verse 7, to those who by patience in well-doing seek, it's all wrapped up in that word, Seek for glory and honour and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and there will be fury. Let me tell you, the highlight, the test is who you are living your life to please. All of us live our lives to please one of three people. We either live our life to please ourselves We're either living our life to please everybody else or you are living your life to please God. And if you fall into the last one, we're all in the right bracket. Does that mean we're going to get it right all the time? No. It's all about who's in the driver's seat. Just recently, a a very well-respected American preacher that that I spend a lot of time listening to, he through a certain set of circumstances, I won't mention names or anything because it's not important, but, but his teachings were very good. And he grew a very large church, particularly among the younger generation, which isn't easy to do today, but he did. And he, absolute transformation in people's lives. But through a horrible set of circumstances, he's out. And everybody's asking themselves, what went wrong here? And then so people press the rewind button. And I was listening to, quoting verbatim, I was listening to these words. The words went something like this. The bus of this church and the vision of this church will move forward and if you get in the way or if you're not on the bus, we will run over you and we will pile up bodies behind us. Let me tell you what happens when that happens. God changes the driver. That's what happens. The problem 
is in who's driving the bus. And the problem so often can be who's driving our bus. Let's, let's forget about all these American preachers for a moment. Let's forget about all the other Christians. Let's, let's forget about everybody else. Let's, let's put Parliament aside and Donald Trump aside for a moment. And let's just have a look in the mirror because that's what Paul's asking us to do. And he wants everybody here to ask themselves a question. Who is driving your bus? Who is it that you seek to please? Who do you live your life to please? Because when you answer that question or how you answer that question can have huge implications for your life. If God is driving our bus, we don't care whether people malign us or like us or not. We're going to live for God. I don't care what Australia says. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Why? Because that's how God institutes you. I don't care what anybody else says. Get your hands off our unborn babies. I don't care what anybody else says. You will honour our elderly generation while we are able to treasure them. You will treasure them. We're not looking for back doors here. I don't care what anybody else says, but you are just as much a human being despite the colour of your skin or despite anything else. I tell you, one of the most beautiful people I ever met was a guy I used to work with, a sister who had Down syndrome. She was a beautiful girl. And I thank God for people like that that teach us more about ourselves. Honouring God looks like I don't care what everybody else says. This is what God says. This is how I'm going to live my life. This is how I'm going to orientate my life. Let's finish off this passage this morning. Come down to verse 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Verse 10, but glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Another, the easiest way to sum up the word partiality is favoritism. God doesn't have any favorites. God is not going to treat the Jew differently than the Gentile because we're all under sin and Jesus died for every person equally. There's no partiality. And so this morning, as we embark on 2020, are you, uh, here's a different word for a Pharisee. Are you a critical moralizer? Highlighting a morality that you've formed for yourself by poking holes in everybody else. Paul wants to warn everybody that's doing that. Be warned. You've got God. You're at the top of God's list. Second one I want to ask everybody this morning is, as we are highlighting the authenticity of the gospel, what is the basis of your salvation? If the person of Jesus Christ dying upon the cross for you and placing your faith, trust and reliance in him is the basis of your salvation, welcome to the kingdom of God. You stand with millions of others. If the basis of your salvation is what you do and how you do it, you are a Pharisee. The last one I want to ask everybody this morning as we bring this, as we launch into 2020 is who are you living to please? Whether it's at a, whether it's at a denominational level, 
That's A2A, that's our denomination. Whether it's at a church level. You see, what the, what the church down the road is doing, let's pray for them, but what the church down the road is doing is not really our concern. What God is doing here in our midst is our concern. And, and even more so, on an individual level, who are we living our lives to please? Because in answering that question, it governs everything. I've, I've been in churches where the answer to that question is, we are here to please everybody in the seats. And it changes everything you do. But when we're here to please God, it also changes everything that we do. Let's pray. Father, we are in deep gratitude for Jesus. Because the truth is that we are all free to have a relationship with you. Our record wiped completely clean. We have a blank rap sheet before you because Jesus' blood washes us clean. Jesus, my Bible tells me that you stand before God as an advocate, as one who is speaking in my defense before God. And I'm thankful for that, Jesus. Because I... I need you, Jesus. We all need you, Jesus. Father, I pray in my life, I pray for this church and I pray for every person in our beautiful family here at The Rock, Lord, that you would step into the driver's seat and that you would be the one that would drive our bus. Can you please take the controls? And can you orientate our lives this year and into the future, we ask, in your wonderful and glorious name this morning. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.